0: Hey, good evening and welcome to this online gathering of Outfitter Church. My name is Tyler Martin and I am the lead pastor here. Um, If you're a guest with us, joining us for the first time, thank you so much for doing that. Thanks for spending time in your evening tonight uh, to exalt or to explore Jesus with us. And to all of our church family, our church members, um, I miss you and I hope and I trust that you guys are doing well throughout this quarantine season. And so I uh, love you. Let us know if you need anything. Uh, hey, church, we made it. We we are officially at the last two verses. Last oh sorry, 12, 13, and fourteen. So the last three verses of First Peter. Uh, that we began this journey twelve weeks ago in the middle of February, and and we have walked through. Um, what God has inspired in the book of First Peter and have uh, I, I personally have grown a lot in my faith, and one thing that I've seen is that the majesty of the inspiration of God's Word, the, the perfect and without error Word of God, and that this letter was written over 2,000 years ago, and it was phenomenally crucial and encouraging and applicable to them. And it is just as significant, uh, it's crucial, and it is applicable to us today. Um, I, I found it fun, just amazing how God worked and how God did that. And, and like I said, I've grown personally in my faith immensely throughout this. And I hope that your souls have been nourished by the Word of God. And, and so church, honestly, it is, it is a huge responsibility of the church to... to Listen to and to be sure that there's good preaching taking place within their church. And, and I'm not saying that I'm a good preacher, um, but you can't really go wrong when you just walk through verse by verse in the Bible. And so um, thank you guys for being a church that loves the Word of God and loves to learn what God has inspired. And so, um, as you will, or if you will, turn with me in your Bibles for the final time in this exile sermon series to the book of First Peter chapter 5 verses 12 through 14. And as is our custom, every week we say this, that if you do not own a physical copy of God's Word, we want to provide that for you. Um, So there is an online connect card in the comment section, uh, whether you're watching on YouTube or on Facebook, and it's going to be linked to our website as well. So fill out that online connect card, send us your name and address, and let us know um, that you need a Bible, and we will mail you one. So as you've turned there, 1 Peter chapter 5 verses 12 through 14, let's read the text. Through Silvanus, a faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly in order to encourage you and to testify that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. She who is in Babylon, she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you sends you greetings. As does Mark, my son, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. And so churches, we've come to the final closing signature of the book of 1 Peter. What I want to do tonight is I want to walk through these three verses and we kind of want to explain them as we go through them. And then what I want to do is is talk about uh, what took place or, or what so walk through these verses and then summarize the entire book of 1 Peter and the significance of, of what took place in the years after this letter um, was written to them and what the significance of that is for us today. And so as we begin, he writes out and he says, through Sylvanus, a faithful brother, as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, All right, and we'll pick up the next part later. So, So, who is Sylvanus, and what was his role in this book? Well, Sylvanus is probably a different way of saying the name Silas and Silas was a brother that um, all throughout the book of Acts did a lot of ministry and partnership with Paul the Apostle. And so Paul is the guy who wrote uh, Romans, 1st and 2nd Corinthians, uh, Ephesians, Philippians, and several other books in the New Testament. Um, and he was a church planter as well. And and uh, Paul and Peter are kind of the main two characters. Um, of course, it's it's what God's doing, but it's uh, he's doing it a lot through with, with Paul and with Peter um, and, and growing in the early church. And so... Sylvanus, who is with Peter now he calls him a faithful brother so a faithful Christian brother um, as he considers him and through him He's written to you. And so this Sylvanus again, is, is very likely the same person that is Silas that traveled and accompanied uh, Paul and now is accompanying Peter as well. And what his role was to do was to travel from place to place, church to church, and encourage the churches. Um, and, and one of his roles was either to help them write the letters and or deliver the letters to the churches and so that's who sylvanus is and now what was his role in this he says through him i have written to you briefly and so there was a couple things this could mean in that time um, people would often write and not just biblical authors but anyone writing stuff in that time in the ancient times they could have a scribe or they could have an amenuensis it's a fun word to say amenuensis right So a scribe is someone who would simply dictate what you said. So you, instead of writing letter, you as the the author of the letter would then speak and the scribe would write down word for word everything that you say. Um, and an amanuensis was someone that um, had a little bit more editorial authority, and so if you were to say a sentence, they could kind of polish it up for you, um, and still get the gist of what it is you're trying to accomplish. And so, uh, don't don't let that fry you though. That is perfectly within the realm of God's perfect. Without error, a way that he inspired the Bible, um, and so uh, that was the way that people communicated in that time. And so, um, Sylvanus, if he wasn't a minuensis, he would not have changed something without the authority, without the approval of Peter, sending that to the church. And so, again, we still believe that that no word of Scripture ever came from their own interpretation, uh, but they came as they spoke, being carried along by the Holy Spirit. So, inspired by the Spirit, uh, they. Uh, wrote these letters that are now what we have as the perfect Word of God. So uh, that's who Sylvanus was and what he did is he was possibly a scribe, he was possibly an amanuensis. Um, and then another thing is it could have meant that it was simply just through him that Peter wrote this himself without Sylvanus's help. and Sylvanus was the brother that took these letters or this letter to the churches or to the believers that were exiled throughout. Asia Minor. So it could have been one or two of those things, could have been a both and. So he could have helped write it and been the one to help deliver it. And so he says, through Silvanus, a faithful brother as I consider him, I have written to you briefly, why? In order to encourage you and testify that this is the true grace of God, stand firm in it. And so now Peter is is explaining why he wrote this letter. Now, we we went through it in 12 weeks, uh, but you must know that the readers of this would have read it immediately in in its totality. They would have read through this letter immediately and it wouldn't have taken them 12 weeks. And so he says briefly, and we've been unpacking it slowly, but he says, I've written to you briefly in order to encourage you. So he wanted to encourage the church, again, keeping in mind that they are being persecuted and they are exiles in the land of Abraham. Asia Minor, And so he says, I wanted to encourage you, and two part, to testify, which means to affirm and to declare and to agree that this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. He's telling them, what you've believed and what I'm reminding you of in this letter is the true grace of God. It is the right belief and again keeping in mind what they've been going through the only reason they're in asia minor is because they've been being persecuted and so they had to flee upward or northward and out of the jerusalem area into asia minor a pagan land and and, and so they 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 were persecuted where they were and fled to this place and when they arrived again here they are they're persecuted the society hates them they don't like them they don't like any of their practices and they tell them they they hate humanity and they hate the roman way and so again they they were persecuted one place they've moved on to flee that and they've been persecuted in their new place and so you know that throughout that you've got to go did we miss something are we on the wrong train are we going the wrong way and peter peter writes this letter he says i wanted to write to you briefly to encourage you and to affirm to testify that this is the true grace of god what is the true grace of god well it's that Suffering is going to take place. It's okay. God is sovereign. And yes, you have believed in Christ, the cornerstone. So so hang in there. And so as we we think about what he says, he says this is the true grace of God Um, in chapter 1. Peter writes to them and he says, You have been caused to be born again into a living hope. Uh, and, and then, it, so it's this living hope that, that God has redeemed you in this life and that you're going to get to enjoy Him in fullness forever and eternity um, because of your faith and forgiveness through what Christ did. And so you, we've been born into a living hope, um, but one of the things he says in chapter 1 is that in this living hope, we are going to go through fiery trials that, that purge us and make us more like Christ, make us more holy. And so uh, chapter one, you've been given a new life, a new hope, uh, but that hope comes with uh, fiery testing that makes you better. Chapter two, um, he talks about um, in chapter 2, he talks about Christ is the cornerstone, that we are being built into a spiritual house to worship Jesus and offer sacrifices of worship to Jesus, um, which is our lives. And so we're a spiritual house being built up, and the cornerstone, the foundation of that house, is Christ himself, his death burial and resurrection in place of your sins on the cross and my sins on the cross, so that we could be made right with God. And so there's there's that and because Christ is the cornerstone and we're being built into a house, we must therefore resist Sin and no longer live in darkness, but live in light. And so since we're going to be proclaiming the goodness of God who delivered us from our sins, we can't be living in those sins for it would then taint our proclamation of God's goodness. So that's chapter 2. Chapter 3, so chapter 2 is that we've believed in the gospel. Christ is the head of that gospel. Chapter 3 says that gospel brings order into your life. And so it brings order into our role um, within our marriage. It brings order um, into our lives as to what we're supposed to be doing in our workplace. It brings order into our lives as to who we're supposed to be in our community. And what we see in chapter 3 is that that gospel order, living differently than the world, is going to then bring shame and bring suffering on our lives. But it's okay. It's worth it. Why? Because in chapter 4, Peter says that Christ has suffered more than any of us have ever done. So we look to Him as our example, and we look to Him so that we can endure. And we know that uh, in chapter 4, it says that the, the end of of God's redemptive plan. So we're in the final stage of God's redemptive plan in that uh, the very next stage is going to come as Jesus' second coming where he gets rid of all evil and all evildoers. And and we will then in fullness know and see God face to face. Okay, and so that's chapter 4. and So he says... Don't give up. And then in chapter 5, it says, even in the midst of everything going on, all the persecution, all the chaos, there is still to be gospel order in the church, meaning there are to be elders that lead. So even in the midst of chaos, uh, the church needs to have leadership. It needs to have elders. And those elders need to lead as Christ would have led by being a gracious shepherd, knowing that they themselves have to answer to the chief shepherd, Christ himself, for how they cared for and led the flock. And then also he says in chapter 5 that we have an enemy that is sneaking around in deception, trying to destroy our own souls and the life and the soul of every single church that's ever existed. And so that's uh, what chapter 5 is talking about. So there's our summary of the book of 1 Peter. And he says, I've written to you to encourage you and to testify to you that everything we just discussed, so that summary, is the true Grace of God, stand firm in it. Meaning, when opposition comes, we don't give; we stand, and we 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 do not falter, but we stand secure on the ground of Christ, our Lord, died, uh, was buried, and was resurrected for our sins. That's what we stand firm in that gospel. And we're gonna we're gonna dive deeper on that stand firm here in just a little bit. But continuing on, it says. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. So she who is in Babylon—that's been taken to mean a lot of things—but uh, given the context of of everything going on in First Peter and and uh, Peter's who Peter represents and who Peter is writing to. What I think is best, what we can trust is best uh, to see who is this Babylon, says she who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends greetings, um, as does Mark, my son. We'll get to that in a second. But who is Babylon, and what does it represent? Well, Uh, Remember, these were formerly Jewish believers, predominantly. Uh, They were persecuted in the Jerusalem area, and they went north into Asia, Asia Minor. And so, uh, as former Jews, they would have been very well aware of the Old Testament. And Babylon, the Babylonian Empire, is one of the people that conquered Jerusalem, destroyed them, and then drug them off as slaves, exiled into their foreign area. And so... um, Babylon represented God's people in a foreign land um, as exiles, okay? And so, when Peter says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, um, let's, let's think about two other things. The, he started out the very first thing, and he says, To those chosen, living as exiles, dispersed abroad in Pontius Galatia, Kapadosh, and so he names all the places that they've been... Uh, Scattered. So he starts out by saying to those scattered and exiles in a foreign land. And then um, in the middle of this letter, he says, as a way to comfort them, he says, don't worry, I know that you think you're alone and you're suffering, but your brothers all over the world are facing the same kind of suffering. So he says you're an exile in a foreign land, and then he says your brothers all over the world are are also um, exiles in a foreign land, no matter where we're at. And then he closes the letter, so he starts it and closes it in a similar way. She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you. Uh, Babylon, I believe, is a reference to the fact that no matter where the church lives, they are exiles in a foreign land. And so what Peter is very likely meaning is that the Christians that he represents by the churches that he's been a part of planting, um, and those specifically that are with him in his immediate context, it is those Christians who also are exiles in a foreign land. Uh, It's another comforting way. Peter, in every way possible, he comforts these people in their suffering. And so he's saying, hey, Everyone who's with me, we're also exiles in a foreign land and we want to greet you. We want to say hello. We're in the same tr- struggles and fight that you're in and we just want to say hello. And so he says, She who is in Babylon, chosen together with you, sends you greetings, as does Mark, my son. Now, Mark was not his son uh, it, it, biologically. Uh, Mark was his son in the faith. Paul, the apostle, also calls Timothy his son in the faith. And so this is a term of endearment marking a a phenomenal uh, ministry partner that they had. And so uh, Mark was an accompanying person that would travel with Peter as he did ministry. And so he is saying, uh, the church that I'm representing and the believers that I represent, we greet you. Also, so does Mark, his faithful ministry partner and, and co-laborer in the gospel. And he calls him my son. This Mark is also the guy uh, that is traveling throughout uh, with different apostles throughout the book of Acts. Um, and is also the author of the book or the gospel of Mark. And so that's who Mark is. And he says, uh, as does Mark, my son. And then verse 14, greet one another with a kiss of love. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. So when he says, greet one another with a kiss of love, uh, he did literally mean a kiss. And so in that ancient context and culture, uh, it was not strange and, or weird in any such way that uh, men and women, uh, for a man to kiss another man or for a woman to kiss another woman, uh, and, and what this was is it was simply a handshake or a hug. The equivalent of what we believe is a handshake or hug was a kiss on the cheek or even possibly on the lips uh, to those brothers and sisters in Christ. And so what... Uh, Peter is saying is he's saying his final thing is greet one another with a kiss of love so when you see the other brothers and sisters in Christ in the midst of your persecuted exiled context when you see them greet them with a symbol that shows love and care and in Christian love so he's saying for them to greet one another friends um, that is one of the backbones of the Christian faith is that we love one another, that we display that love for one another, that we're not ashamed that we care about each other as our family. And so when we see each other, we, we, we put uh, we're, we're, like the rubber meets the road. Like we say we love you, but like we're, we're going to greet you as well. We want to shake your hand. We want to hug you. We want to say that we care about you with a physical demonstration of Christian love. Now I know that well, two things. One, uh, it is not normal for, for guys and for girls to kiss each other um, in, in our context, right? So you don't show up to the church. If some of you showed up and then just, like, kissed me on the cheek, I would be very taken aback, and, and quite honestly, I'd be pretty shocked, and I don't know what I'd say. Um, so that's not a common practice for us. So I don't think that the Bible's telling us that that we have to kiss each other. Again, we, we look at what it meant in their town, and we bring the principle to what it means in our town. Um, and what the principle is is that we have a physical demonstration of love for one another in the Christian family. And what we typically have for that again is a handshake and a hug. And I know that in the midst of the COVID-19 season that we don't even want to get within six feet of each other. We're not shaking hands. We're not hugging right. We're not doing any of those things. Um, But we will go back to normal. And, And again, it is a backbone of the Christian faith that we Show uh, a physical demonstration of our love, our Christian love for our brothers and our sisters in Christ. And so, uh, when we get there, uh, ladies, it might be a side hug, but I'm going to hug every single one of you. And guys, I'm going to give you a big bro hug because I cannot wait to see you, to shake your hands, and to and to greet you um, with a kiss of love. Again, I'm not going to kiss you, but greet one another with a kiss of love, uh, with a physical demonstration of my love and my care for you in Christ as the family of God. Um, And so this is what he's getting at. And then he says, peace to all of you who are in Christ. What a beautiful letter. Uh, What a beautiful connection. What a beautiful fellowship, a a beautiful relationship that these believers share in the midst of a hard time. Now, I told you earlier that I wanted to to dive deeper on this. Stand firm in it, and, and that's what I want to do. And so he writes this letter and he says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. So did they. If he tells them stand firm in this gospel, it begs the question, did the exiled believers in Asia Minor that received this letter from 1 Peter, did they stand firm in the gospel? Well, to answer that, I'm going to ask you a question. Do you believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man? And that, that, that's, that it had to be that way because when he died on the cross, he had to be fully God, taking being perfect, therefore being able to take the place of your sins because he's a perfect sacrifice. But he also had to be fully man because he had to be acquainted with all of our sins and our struggles and as a human. So he had to die in human flesh, but he also had to be God. So do you believe that Jesus is fully God and fully man? Do you believe that God is revealed as the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and that each of them is, is fully God, but they work together uh, in perfect unity. Again, I'm not saying that we don't have to say that's a little bit tough to comprehend and explain, but do you believe that the Trinity is the God that we believe in, the God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? I hope you said yes to those things because those are essential parts of being a Christian. We must believe those in order to be a Christian. Now, why why do I ask you that? Because I want to answer the question is, did they stand firm? If you believe that today, that Jesus is fully God and fully man, and that that God is revealed as the God, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, as one God in three distinct persons, then I'm going to tell you, yes, the, the exiled believers in Asia Minor stood firm. Why do I say that? Because in 325 AD all the way through 787 AD, so we're spanning uh, about 500, 500 plus years of history, there was all kinds of false teaching that came. So, so Jesus dies, uh, he resurrects, the church is birthed, and they begin teaching with the apostles, or they begin studying with the apostles, were teaching them about Christ, and then as the years went on, there was all kinds of different heresies. A heresy is a false teaching that would lead you away from God and into hell. So it's a false teaching about God. And so there were all these heresies that began to arise that Jesus wasn't fully God, that God is not the Trinity. There's like, like, there's God the Father, there's God, there's all kinds of different false teachings about God that were really damaging to the church and really, really bad. Um, And so what the church had to do was they had to gather in these cities where over a hundred pastors at one point there was over 300 pastors that gathered in these big conventions right that they called councils and they would gather in these councils and they'd say okay this is what's being taught here's what the bible says this is right this is wrong this is a heresy that the church is against if anyone's found teaching this we must then remove them because that's not true gospel it's a false lie from hell. And so what these councils did is they protected the gospel. Peter wrote to them and he says, this is the true grace of God. Stand firm in it. And what's amazing is that, again, like in 325 was the first one, and 787 was one of the last. And, and throughout those seven different councils, there was all these heresies and they corrected each one of them and said, this is the true way. Walk in it. Why am I going down history lane? Because every single one of those was located in what region? You guessed it, Asia Minor. And so what began in around 70 to 80 AD, when when Peter wrote this letter to the very few fledgling exiled believers in Asia Minor in 70 to 80 AD, and he says, this is the truth, stand firm in it. I know you're being ridiculed, I know you're being disrespected, I know you're being persecuted for your faith in Christ. Don't give in, stand flat-footed and firm in in it and what they did is they took that and they listened and they were faithful to God and then by the time in 325 AD that they don't have huge councils in places where there's no churches in 325 AD there was enough churches enough power of the gospel throughout the entire region of Asia Minor that they met in one location and they protected the true grace of God and then they did it again year after year after year for over 500 years Asia Minor was a stronghold for the true grace of God. And so, brothers and sisters, yes, they stood firm in it. Is that not amazing? That, to me, like, they started with, with just a, a, not very many, a fledgling group of exiled believers, and within a, couple, within a hundred and something years, within a couple hundred years, they were a stronghold for the gospel. That pumps me up. And so, um, that just makes me think that we have some similarities with Asia Minor back then that that I think we really need to be thinking about what God could do in Wyoming a couple hundred years from now. And so, let me just ask you this. Let me ask you this. Um, What do we have in common with Asia Minor some 2,000 years ago? Well, what we have in common is that in our state, our region, 90% of the people, and that sways differently depending on which city you're in, but 90% of the people that live in the state of Wyoming would claim that they do not know Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, and they do not follow Him. So that means that 90% Of the people that we know in this state, or the people that live in this state, 90% of them, when they, first off, they have no peace in this life. They have no hope and redemption in this life. And when they die, they will spend an eternity being punished for the sins that they committed against the God that created them to know Him, to love Him, and to enjoy Him forever. Nine out of ten people that that, that live in Wyoming. That's the statistic. So I would say they probably had more non-Christians in Asia Minor than that, but we're pretty high on the category of people that need Jesus. So then, now let me ask you, why? Well, before I move on to that question, let me say this. I don't necessarily think that the believers just simply even knew what God was going to do. I don't think that the exiled believers had any idea that within 500 years, they would be a stronghold for the gospel all over the world. But they knew that they had to stand firm in their faith with God. So now I ask you, how how did the exiled believers get to Asia Minor? They were persecuted where they lived. So they had to flee life land, home, jobs had to flee all of that they weren't even supposed they w- they didn't choose to willingly go to this place they were forced by persecution but God who is sovereign in our suffering used that for his glory and he used it to create a monumentally strong group of believers the church all across the entire region of Asia Minor so that they then would become the stronghold for protecting the truth about God for hundreds of years to come Look, look, I don't know exactly what all you're going through and your struggles, but let me also just say this neither do you. The the believers did not know what God was doing at that time, and so you also, I also, we don't know what God is doing, but what we do know is that God is sovereign in all of our suffering. He is in control. We can trust Him, and He is always going to work things out for the good of His people and for His glory. It may not be you individually, okay? It may not always work out perfect for you, but it will work out for the good of His collected body of believers and for His glory, and so we praise God. God, knowing that no matter what suffering we're going through, He can make it worth it. Who knows that the suffering and the trials you're going through right now doesn't mean that dozens of people won't come to Christ uh, later on in life due to the circumstances and the people you meet through the midst of your suffering. God could bring dozens and dozens of people, maybe even hundreds of people to Christ through what you're going through right now. We don't know what God's doing, so we just trust Him and we follow Him. But they got to Asia Minor because they were persecuted. Well, we're not being persecuted in Barnum. We could easily, Outfitter Church, could live its entire life in Barnum until we're all dead. And we'd never be persecuted. It's a very, very real reality. And I don't know if the believers, this is a hypothetical, so it's not really worth going down. But I don't know if the believers would have chosen to go to Asia Minor. If they weren't persecuted, but because they did, God, God was sovereign and, and in the midst of them going, He used them to become a stronghold for the gospel over the course of several hundred years. I bet they'd do it again. So if we're not going to be persecuted in bar none to where we have to spread to different communities... Well, based on what we saw take place in the book of First Peter in the years after, and what we've seen throughout church history is that every time the church is persecuted, it moves into different communities and cities across the globe, and, and the gospel is proclaimed, and people are saved, and God is glorified. So if we know that that happens when churches move into new communities, then we're not going to be persecuted. We need to go ahead and just take initiative and take the church without being forced to do so, and willingly take it to a new community and proclaim the gospel. And start a church there. That's called church planting. That's what we've done in coming to Bar nun to plant Outfitter Church. Is God moved us here so that we could be proclaiming the gospel in this city. Well, if you just think about um drive five minutes north out of Bar nun. There's a community called Homa Hills. A couple hundred people live in there. It's spread out, but there's quite a few people in there. What, what's it gonna take? For us to to proclaim the name of God and see people's lives changed in Homa Hills? What's it going to take? Go a little further north to Antelope Hills, um, north of Barnum. What's it going to take for us to get into that community and reach those couple hundred people for the name of Jesus Christ? What's it going to take for us to be able to explain to them that there's a God that loves them so much? He created them uh, for good and for a purpose and an abundant life, and, and we've ruined that. But, but He loved us enough to where He'd forgive us through sending His Son to die on the cross and pay for our sins and resurrect, giving us an opportunity to be redeemed. What's it going to take to, to, as we just keep going across from Barnum? and we spread out across our state? What's it going to take for us to get the gospel to every single one of those communities? Because here's the reality. Outfitter Church, we will be a church that is about getting the gospel to every single community in our state. We do that on a whole different level, a whole multiple levels of ways that we do that. And it's going to take every single one of us. That's our mission statement, right? Relentlessly pursue Jesus and make disciples. And so, What are you, what are you doing with your skills and your talents? Devote them to relentlessly pursuing Jesus and making disciples in this community, and in every community in our state. What are you doing with your time? What are you devoting your time to? Devote it to relentlessly pursuing Jesus and making disciples in this community, and in every community in our state. What, what are you using, what are you devoting your finances to? Let's devote our finances to relentlessly pursuing Jesus and making disciples in this community and in the communities all in our state. What are we, what are we devoting our time of prayer, our Bible reading, and our, our spiritual disciplines? Ultimately, what are we doing with our lives? Why are we alive Let's devote our lives to relentlessly pursuing Jesus and making disciples in this community and in every community in our state. That is what we are to be about. That's what it means to stand firm in the true grace of God. If God has uh, put something on your heart a way that you want to spend your time, your talents, your finances, uh, your, your skills and your gifts and your abilities. If there's a certain way that God's put on your heart tonight that you want to do that so that you can help Outfitter Church and, and, and all the churches that we can partner with in this state to get the gospel to every single community. If there's something on your mind, I want you to put it in that online connect card. And I want to, I want to read it. I want to celebrate with you. I want to collaborate with you as to how we can relentlessly pursue Jesus and make disciples in our communities and in every community. In the state of Wyoming this is what it means church we've got to stand firm in this and this is what our church will be about and we hope that even though there's only 90 or 90 percent of people in darkness in our state now we hope that within a couple hundred years that Wyoming could be a stronghold The majority of people here believing in Jesus, following Jesus, and proclaiming His goodness, how He took them from darkness to light, and telling others about that. We hope that within a couple hundred years, Wyoming could be a stronghold for the gospel in our country and in the world. What we do today matters for hundreds of years to come. So stand firm, church. And then Peter ends this when he says, Peace to all of you who are in Christ. That's where we connect this passage to to the non-Christian that's listening tonight. Peace to all of you who are in Christ. Peter knows very well that even in the midst of chaos, persecution, and the threat of being made fun of, ridiculed, losing your job, or possibly even losing your life, that only those who are in Christ can have peace in that chaos. we got a lot of chaos going on in our world today. And I want you to know that if you're not a Christian, then whatever thing you're finding peace and security in, that can be taken from you. But if you would repent of, of doing things your way and living in your sins, you can put your faith in Christ Jesus, who died on the cross, was buried and resurrected in the substitute place for your sins on the cross so that you could be made right with God. Made right with God and be a part of the family that, that is proclaiming the, the message of hope In truth, all across the world, so that all people can find the true life that God created them for, that abundant life that is ours in Christ and Christ alone. And so, if you've been listening to this, I want to encourage you to put your faith in Christ tonight so that you could receive peace, so that you could be made right with God. And find the true life that you are meant, which is to know Him, enjoy Him, and follow Him forever. So if you're ready to repent, which means to turn away from your way of life, your former way of life, and follow Christ as your Lord and Savior, I'm going to ask you to pray this prayer with me. And then I want to pray for our church, and then we will sing. So if you're ready to surrender, to begin following Jesus, I want you to pray this with me in your homes right now. God, I need you to forgive me. I want the life that you created me for. I believe Jesus died in my place, taking my sins. I believe he rose from the dead, making it possible. For me to be redeemed, I give you my life, God. I want to be a part of your plan to bring hope to every home and redemption to every person through the life and work of Jesus Christ. Forgive my sins. Give me your Holy Spirit. I will follow you all my days. In Jesus' name. Now, if you prayed that prayer, fill out on the online connect card that you decided to trust Jesus today and we'll be following up with you soon, getting you a Bible and helping you to take your first steps in following Christ. Now, church, let me pray for you. Father, how encouraging of a word it was to see that that 2,000-something years ago you wrote and you inspired for the, for the church to stand firm. And though we saw that you did mighty, mighty things only by your power. God, would you help outfit Outfitter Church to be a church that stands firm in the true grace of God, that no matter what we go through, we will not falter in our belief and our love for you. God, make Wyoming a stronghold for the gospel. In the years to come. We love you in Jesus name. Amen. Now church, we're going to sing in Christ alone as we close Um, and then after that we'll have some announcements uh, in prayer and then we'll sing the doxology together. Um, So uh, let's stand or not, you don't have to stand, sorry. Uh, Let's worship the Lord through song.